Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How you doing today, Axel? I am tired as hell. Like, I, I was at work and I was trying to stay alert, so I drank like two Red Bull. I know there isn't much to some of those junkies out there, but to me it, you know, wiped me out. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm discovering exhaustion on a whole new level now, and I don't like it. You know, since you have a baby, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I know nothing compared to your exhaustion right now. So, Well, it's just, it's a different type of exhaustion. You're tired all the time. Even if you slept, you're still tired somehow. I believe that. I, hey, I what think... are we talking about today, bro? Ah, well, today we are talking about the much-anticipated, much-hyped Avengers Infinity War. Oh, let me put away the envelope full of money that Disney sent us. You got yours? I'm still waiting on mine. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to have a little section that's going to be spoiler-free, and then we're going to have most of this uh, podcast uh, spoiler-heavy. So Yeah, it's uh, kind of hard not to talk about this movie without going into spoilers. Mm-hmm. So what do you have to say about it spoiler-free? Uh, this movie's amazing. Um, I haven't been this excited going into a Marvel movie in a very long time, and I still pin that on Iron Man 3 broke me. I became hesitant. I think the but last no. time I was this excited was Civil War, so. This movie, genuinely, I was so excited, and it was really, 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 really good. Um, uh, the only real complaint I have is not about the movie, it's about the audience I saw it with. There was one guy who felt the need to whoop, cheer, and clap for every comic book moment in the movie. <laughs> and I felt, at first it was kind of amusing, then it got really annoying because I'm sitting here going, okay, listen, buddy, this movie's almost three hours long. You keep getting this excited, you're not going to make it to the climax. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, no, this is a solid, solid film. And it's breaking all sorts of records. And, of course, the snooty movie critics elites have come out to trash on it. I don't want to talk about them, their arguments. It's just, it's dumb. Really, it seems like, though, in my experience online, which I admit is, you know, not, like, all-encompassing or anything, but I feel like the amount of snooty critics, which are always there with every Marvel movie, is, you know, pretty small in this case. This is a movie that, even if you're not like a huge fan of the Marvel movies in general. This is like the original Avengers and that this movie is important. This is like a star Wars movie. Like this is important to how cinema exists in the modern day. Right now it it helps that as a movie, it's really good. Now I, I feel, I feel almost like this movie is the epitome of a blockbuster. The cast is so ridiculous, ridiculously star studded, you know, because all the Marvel actors are in it and being as long as it is makes sense because there's so many actors. I, I mean, you can feel it so long, but I never felt bored. Certainly. No, which again, that's the sign. That's my first warning sign with movie. If at any point I'm looking at my watch going, how long am I into this movie still? Or man, I want this scene to be over. Never with this movie. You are following along engaged. And I think part of that's because this movie doesn't have very many downbeats. There's no real calm moments. Yeah, well, what's interesting, and I remember, I don't know who said this first uh, in my experience, but so the the big team-up movies, like the original Avengers, what really makes them, for me, is the interaction between the characters that aren't normally interacting. So, like, you can have, 
a good plot, good stakes, good action, all that stuff is just icing. Like what really makes or breaks this movie is how well do these characters bounce off each other in interesting ways. And with the, such a huge cast, this movie, again, this is spoiler free at this point, but this movie does break up the cast into about three subgroups and choosing which pieces to interact with each other. And the pieces they chose are all the right choice as far as I'm concerned. And the interactions are super interesting. Yeah, on, that's go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, add on top of that, Thanos is a great villain. And Marvel has repeatedly been hit with the criticism that its villains, for the most part, tend to be less interesting. I mean, yeah, we get a, a Loki or a Kilgrave every now and then, but generally speaking, they don't tend to be that great. But Thanos is is worth it, I would say. Brolin's performance is amazing, and he's more of the star than anyone else in this movie. So. No, um, Movie Bob hit the nail on the head when he said, I think it was Movie Bob, might have been Jeremy Johns, I can't quite remember, but they said this is really Thanos' movie. Yeah, and he is great to watch. There's one scene I'll talk about later especially that I was like, okay, this has elevated him now. Yeah, I know I'm going to get shit for this, but no, Thanos, ah, I, I like Thanos a lot. Like, I can understand his motives and yeah. I don't want to say sympathize. Cause that's not necessarily the right word. Yeah, no, we'll get into detail about that. One thing I really want to say about this movie is, um, like I said, I've got friends who are have Marvel fatigue, or I should say even superhero fatigue. And in a lot of ways, this movie doesn't break any of that. I mean, it's still a big beat-em-up Marvel movie. It has... It's competent almost to like a scary degree how how easily these Marvel movies seem to be competent, but it makes a few key decisions. Yeah, I mean from the very first scene that really set it apart from other Marvel movies in a specifically important way that I know those specific friends of mine would appreciate. My point of saying that is if you have a very specific set of criticisms about like things that the Marvel movies haven't done, uh, particularly with, let's say, consequences, this movie is the one that, to, to see, like, definitely. Oh, yeah, and we'll go, we'll go into that, because even that's getting criticism. Sure. But no, like I said, this movie is... Go and see it, seriously. Um, if you, I'm going to say, though, if you haven't gone back even of a cursory understanding of every movie that's come before this... You might want to do a quick wrap-up or watch a couple wrap-up videos. We did one ourselves. Shameless plug is shameless. Well, you know what's funny? I mean, okay, I I got to support the shameless plug because I'm one of the geeks with a shield here. But uh, I thought that this movie was actually very good at not requiring that. Like, the only important – so this movie going into it, the only knowledge you need to know – is like a cursory understanding of who these characters are, which if you live in culture for the last decade, you should have a cursory understanding of who these characters are. And that's really it, because like the stones, they give you all you need to know about what and where they are for the movie to function. So Yeah, but there are certain plot points and character points that it kind of helps to have a bit of background knowledge on. Well, but... So what makes say, the movies good is you don't necessarily need to have seen the previous ones, but it enhances your experience. Yeah, I would say that um, it's not as unnecessary as, say, like, the original Avengers, I feel like, absolutely didn't need any of its no. films, like, at all. This one, I would say that there are more... Or the effect is bigger, but I could still 
believe someone could enjoy this movie on its own, like separate from what built up to it, the decade of build up to it. Yeah. The only, I think the only ones, like, if I were to sit down and be like, all right, the ones you might have to watch just to like fully understand is definitely Black Panther, uh, because Wakanda plays a, an important but unremarked kind of role. Yeah. Um, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, yeah, Thor Ragnarok, because big events at the end of Thor Ragnarok had... And maybe uh, Civil War? Um, no, I don't think Civil War is a big deal. No, they kind um, of touch on that. Uh, yeah, but not, not to an important degree. I would say only, the only other one that might be super important would be uh, Age of Ultron, just because the vision, like, everything... I would say Guardians, because that introduced Thanos and a couple other characters. Yeah, but I feel like the first scene of the movie introduces Thanos well enough. That is true, that is true. Anyway, that's um, I feel like we're we're really edging into spoiler territory. So I feel like I want to wrap up mine by saying that yeah, this is it's everything I expected and a little bit more. Like there's certain decisions that I was not expecting Disney to uh, actually make that they do, and I'm impressed with them, and I'm glad they they did it. And uh, it was worth full price of admission. I went on a Saturday. We get like uh, really cheap movies here on Tuesdays. So most of the time I go see movies on Tuesdays, but yeah, we went Saturday full price and, um, I don't feel bad about that at all. I think the movie deserved it. It's got like the, what second biggest opening weekend in history behind only black Panther at this point, I think. I think it might've outgrossed black Panther at this point. I know. I think I read today. It's the highest grossing opening weekend. Hmm. Okay. I just know that I went to wiki and, uh, I think it's just as of now, it's behind Black Panther and like world gross because it's like world gross is like 700 million and Black Panthers is currently like 1.3 billion or something like that. But no, yeah, this movie's making Buku and we all knew it. Yeah. Uh, no, real quick before we move into spoilers, I'm just going to say don't post spoilers online. Oh, yeah. Before we go, at on, all. I want to take a moment to talk about spoilers in general. Now, there are um, people like me, I would say, that spoilers generally don't actually hurt my enjoyment of something. In fact, there have been plenty of times I only in, uh, took part in something because it's spoiled. Just recently, I just bought a PlayStation 4 and God of War, and the only reason I did, because for the record, I love God of War 1, I have mixed feelings about God of War 2, and I hate God of War 3. <laughs> And I figured if God of, if this new one was just going to be Kratos going around murdering the Norse gods systematically, I didn't want to play it. So I read the entire plot. It didn't piss me off, and I bought it. Only reason I did. Only reason I saw Mother was because I already knew what the conceit was going in. I had no interest before that. So, yeah, spoilers, I think, are a complicated thing. This is the movie, though, <laughs> that I feel like even if you're someone like me where spoilers generally like don't hurt your experience – you should go in with as little as possible because there's plenty of stuff that you just know already being part of the Marvel like experience. And if you read the comics, especially the comics this is based on, you're going to already know quite a bit. But there's still like certain decisions that and big it's just best if you don't know. And fun stuff. And more really pissed me off, and I vented on it plenty on social media, is those of you that think that you're clever if you disguise your spoilers without context, you're not <laughs> clever. Putting up list of character deaths, but changing the names to be quote unquote clever, that's not clever. And it's not even 24 hours. And you were putting these up. Yeah, it is pretty much. Major deep. YouTubers did this. To really? you, I say, go fuck yourself. I'm glad I missed that. No, I did a social media blackout until I saw the film, but I came back on and I was seeing not 
as much of it as I was afraid of, but there were quite a few quote-unquote clever spoilers that you can figure out without having seen the film, and it it's it's annoying. Yeah, so just any listeners out there, I know at least one regular listener is a person like me who um, doesn't actually care about spoilers and already spoiled this movie for himself and already saw it himself, but if, if you're like that uh, and you want to keep listening, fine. I'm just saying that, like, I understand, and I still think you should not spoil it for this particular movie for yourself. So, No, you get nothing in. But before we move on, let's do our Marvel question. As many of you know, we are already, uh, we have all month long, we'll be giving away free Marvel movies to celebrate Marvel Month here on Geeks with S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, remember, there are three simple things, or four simple things, sorry, we added a step, that you need to do to win. Step one, listen to the podcast. Real simple. You do that every week. Number two, get the Marvel question. The Marvel question will be hidden somewhere in each episode of the podcast. Number three, leave the correct answer in the comments below. And number four, join the group, group, the Geeks with Shields group on Facebook so that we can more easily find you and get you your prize because, let's be honest, the last time we did this, YouTube Messenger sucks. So, this week's question for Thor is name the Warriors three. Ulrich is uh, particularly attached to this question because he loves the Warriors three more than the average, you know, Thor fan. Because they are awesome and they deserved a better send off than they got in Thor Ragnarok. Anyway, that wraps up our spoiler-free segment. So yeah, go out and see the movie, and then once you do that, come back here and listen to the rest because uh, you know I'm a narcissist and I want to be validated and have you listen to me for some reason. So, <laughs> All right, let's jump right into the spoilers. Let's jump right um, into the beginning, which is, as I said, that opening scene. That you mean the thing that sets the entire tone of the movie, basically? Yeah, exactly. Like, first of all, watching Thanos just hand-to-hand beat Hulk into a pulp. It's like, well, this establishes more than anything else how much of a threat this character is. Oh, and it was just awesome. Yeah, he just punches oh. him. Oh, just, yeah. No, I had a big old happy grin on my face. I fanboyed so hard with that. It was just... And I like Hulk. Hulk's an awesome character, but watching someone just easily beat the living hell out of him because that's the point is that like the the quote from first avengers you know we have a hulk aimed at uh loki, loki. and then they prove it by hulk just going crazy and all the chitari it's like hulk has been established to be basically the the juggernaut of the avengers and so then loki repeats the line thus being like oh now they're on the same side and now you're gonna get your ass kicked by the hulk only for it nope. to the fight to last what 20 30 seconds maybe to a pulp now that was it and like i said it really kind of sets tone and then we start by establishing of characters are going to die when heimdall sacrifices himself to muster up the last bit of energy and send hulk off and then die for his trouble so this movie's like oh yeah characters are going to die and i'm kind of bummed to see heimdall go because idris elba was a bold choice well, also, Let's basically, he was the last uh, side character in Asgardian everything after Hell killed a bunch of them, and now... Yeah, it's know. like, well, I guess we're not making any more Thor movies, because they say, technically, Thanos killed half of all of Asgard, but I didn't see any other ships, so where's the other half of the Asgardian refugees? 
Uh, we could say escape pods, and you know they're oh. going to end up on Earth because that was the classic. Uh, I know it was in Civil War, but As Asgard landing in the middle of the continent of North America was a big plot point, and I'm sure they're going to do it. So I wouldn't mind seeing the Dark Reign uh, done in the, this universe. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, but no, like I said, for now, pretty much Asgard is gone because that leads to our next next major character death. Actually, you want to talk about that one? Oh yeah, uh, I love it because like. Loki, first of all, Loki says outright uh, that he's the god of mischief. And I was like, God damn right, finally for him to, because he's doing his whole, like, you know, I am Loki, prince of Asgard, rightful heir to Jotunheim, the god of mischief. I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, he's doing the, it seems like he's, you know, pledging his fealty to Thanos. And you're like, is he just backstabbing Thor again? But then Thor sees him fucking making like a knife in his hand. And he goes to stab Thanos, and of course Thanos stops him because he can't kill the main villain that early in the movie. Or that easily. Yeah. But then Thanos, not only does he choke Loki, but he just crushes his neck between his fingers, and you just see him die. And it is... Okay, I, I, I've said before that Thor the Dark World, one of the reasons it pissed me off is because Loki had a great death, and then they, they went back on it. Um, now, this movie is going to go back on some of the deaths we already know. Uh, just based on scheduling, but this death they really shouldn't go back on because that is a perfect way for Loki to go out because he's re he's basically redeemed himself. He's doing a selfless act to try to save his brother who's basically dying, but he's still doing it in a Loki way by talking himself up, lying through his teeth, and using like deceptive knife work. So yeah, no. Uh, to me, sorry to interrupt you, but to me, this was really the conclusion to his story arc from uh, Ragnarok. He wanted to be seen as this hero, and he never had had the chance. Also, his last words are the perfect last words, because Thanos has got him choking, and Loki looks at him and says through his like breath, you will never be a god. And it's like, that is the most perfect Loki thing to say. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of so, like that they're coming back around and going, it's okay to call them gods. Yeah, so like, I really because Loki's super popular, so there's always the possibility. I know he's already um, scheduled, like the actor is listed in the credits for the next movie, but I'm really hoping that it's not like an actual bring back to life. Do it in flashbacks. Maybe have his ghost appear or something, but don't. Or see Valhalla. Yeah, yeah, but That'd don't cool. bring him actually back to life because his death was really good, really worthwhile. Just leave it there. No, I don't think he is because Thor even says he's died before, but I don't think he's coming back this time. It's funny because I was watching, I watched it with my lady who, so funny thing, side note, I've called uh, my girlfriend Crimson multiple times on the, the podcast because that's was her old name. Uh, she, so I, we, I said, we just got a PlayStation 4. So she made a PlayStation 4 account and spent about 45 minutes trying to find a, a username that wasn't taken. And the one she finally got was Scarlet Knight. So, just saying, I might call her Scarlet from now on instead, which is the same thing, just a different word, but it sounds cool anyway. So, point is, Scarlet, uh, I was talking to her about the same thing, and she was like, yeah, but he's low-key. You're like, can you really be sure? There is that, and I didn't, I, like, I thought Loki had a good chance of dying, but like, nah, he's too popular of a character, they'll find a way to save him. And I really feel like this is the movie's way of establishing going, no, you like these characters? We're going to kill them. I mean, Heimdall dying, that set the tone, but Heimdall is more of a minor character. Yeah, Loki is a main player. character with a fan base. So that really set the tone for people going to die. 
Yeah. And that's all in like the first 10 minutes. That's just this opening scene where Thanos is wrecking uh, everything hap- like the Asgardian ship. It was, it was great. <laughs> no, it's a great setup for the movie. And then the movie doesn't really slow down from there because then we're right into the action scene where Hulk meets, you know, Wong, Doctor Strange, and then Tony's back in the action. And we're into even more kick-ass action with some great little back and forth. I love can I, the quick. Can quips. I ask you something? Hmm. So um, the reviewers I've watched, several of them have talked about how some actors or some characters act in a way that to them didn't seem like right. And they think mm-hmm. that it's because you've got one director or, you know, different directors. And the best I could think of is maybe Dr. Strange, but I'm not sure exactly what they're pointing to. Like, would you say I... Dr. Strange is probably what they're pointing to? No. Well, it's kind of hard because Dr. Strange has had one movie with a little bit of character development. So there's not much of a defined character. I will say this, though. His accent has gotten better. Oh, much. By the way, the, um, we didn't get the no-shit Sherlock, but we totally did get a whole lot of Robert Downey Jr. and Benedict Cumberbatch bouncing off each other. And considering you know Tony Stark is the giant ego and Doctor Strange is also a giant ego, now admittedly, Doctor Strange's ego was pounded under the ground and then kind of built back up, but still, they interact as much as in the exact way that I hoped they would interact. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine with there being Yeah, I'm fine with there being no shit Sherlock line because it's a joke we all know is going to be made. Do we really need it to be made at this point? Exactly. But you can tell that that was like there's a few moments where I felt like that line was like, okay, this is where they would have stuck it and instead they'd give each other a certain look that's like, okay, we know you're thinking it out there. So. No, their interaction was great. Like I said, the chemistry in this movie, everyone really works well off each other which is kind of the big appeal of these team-up movies it's not just the spectacle of fireworks celebration it's to see these characters that don't get to interact interact well like i said to me that is the main appeal that's why like avengers being as simple of a movie as it is never was a criticism valid for me because the main draw was watching all the characters interact with each other uh i mean that's usually the draw of a joss whedon production in general but then they've like kept it without him is an important thing, right? Yeah. You also made me realize that phase two in general was marked by um, too gritty of a tone, and I felt like they were trying to make, to make things too dark. And now that they've gotten over that shit, they're back to like... Anyway, besides the point. Uh, no, so we get this opening kick-ass battle with all sorts of power team-ups between, you know, the three characters, Hulk refusing to come out, and I'm not sure if that's because he's afraid to oh, no, come I'm back out. I'm sure that's it. So, so after Hulk gets his ass beaten... Banner tries to get Hulk to come out about three more times in the movie and Hulk refuses, even going so far as to have the face change of the Hulk and him to say no. And I, my interpretation was after getting beaten so thoroughly, yeah, Hulk just doesn't want to come out. Like, you know, I think Hulk literally, he knows he can die. That's never been a threat possibility for Hulk before. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so after the Thor ship explodes, we get our first primary group, which is uh, Hulk. Doctor Strange and Iron Man who get to fight um, Ebony the Ma, Black... I think. What's I don't know their names outside of the Black Order, but I need a Herald now. After his whole speech is like, okay, I need a Herald. <laughs> yeah, like, I when I arrive, I, I want a Herald to announce how great it is that I'm here to conquer you, and you are so lucky that I'm here to just decimate. It's just, I need one of those. It doesn't surprise me that you really liked... Uh, <laughs> I thought at first he'd be kind of annoying, because I'm like, oh, he's just, you know, an annoying Lickspittle. No, he's a kick-ass motherfucker that comes yeah. in and announces how great I am. 
I'm correct. It, it is Ebony Maw, and uh, he is the prominent member of the Black Order. Anyway, so yeah, he shows up and he's like magnetoing all around. <laughs> I would say uh-huh. that's what it felt like to me. Um, and I believe is it Cull Obsidian is the other guy with him. I I think. I like I said, I honestly do not know the names. I know the Black Order. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we'll, I, we'll go more into depth them in depth to them later because I have thoughts about them. Yeah, point is, Doctor Strange and uh, Iron Man, you know, fight them, and it's it's pretty awesome. And uh, Doctor Strange has these few lines that I love, where like Ebony Maw tries to grab the time stone around his neck, and Doctor Strange just says something like, "It's a simple spell, but." You'll find very difficult to remove or something like that, but it's it's not even like a clever line. But something about the way he says it is like, okay, now you feel like the Sorcerer Supreme, you know? Yeah, he's put thought. He's, he's thought about it. it's like that's a really simple thing that Doctor Strange would totally think about. It's like, you know, I'm wearing an Infinity Stone around my neck and I'm sworn to protect it. I better do something to make sure this can't, this can't be taken off me. Exactly. There's there's a scene so. I'm, I'm going to jump ahead for just a moment. I don't want to spend, like, I'm trying to go kind of linearly, but there's a scene later where Doctor Strange and Thanos fight for maybe 40 seconds total. That's it. But it is everything I wanted when I saw the first Doctor Strange. I made a comment when yes. we were reviewing it that Doctor Strange had too much punching and that I expect a magic fight in Doctor Strange to be a lot more spells at each other. And when Thanos and Doctor Strange go at each other, it's exactly that. They're like changing each other's spells into bubbles, and Doctor Strange does the multiply himself thing, and it's it's yeah. amazing. No, that's another point I want to touch on, but later because it will we'll, there will need more need the lead up to it more because there's more things yeah. to talk about. No, no, I agree. My oh. point is just that I feel like Doctor Strange was done so much better in general mm-hmm. than he was. No, was I was I liked Doctor Strange in this movie, where I didn't so much like him in his own movie. So I it's like, like okay, I just wanted more from him, and I got. I it couldn't here. get past the house. He felt <laughs> like Doctor House, and I couldn't get past that. Well, I, because I feel it like, felt boring. So here's the thing: I liked his character in Doctor Strange, certainly, but like I said, here he feels like the Sorcerer Supreme properly. Yes, and that's that's the important distinction. But anyway, um, he gets you know taken by Ebony Maw, and uh, and oh, Spider Man shows up, of course. Which has, I love that opening. Hey, Ned, I need a distraction. Huh? Oh, my God, a spaceship! <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, The audience That was perfect. Time. It's like, oh, I forgot I like Ned. He's a good side character. Yeah, but uh, Iron Man and, and Spider-Man managed to get on the, the ship that's leaving with Doctor Strange, and we get the Iron Spider, and it... Which was cool. I didn't expect that. Well, we kind of knew it was going to happen because we've seen pictures of it for like a year at this point, but I was worried. I didn't think they were the legs though. I kind of thought that they were just going to, you know, sort of reference it, not go all out and have the legs pop uh, out. Yeah, no, the legs were the main thing I was looking forward to. Cause I'm not actually a huge fan of the iron spider suit. I'm a nah, the legs are cool. Yeah. yeah. That's no, about it. The legs are the interesting part. Exactly. So I'm like, if you don't have the legs, then there's no point in doing the iron spider, but they totally do the fucking legs and it is awesome looking. So, and, and I then, also uh, kind of like how they addressed one of my big issues was Tony is like, you're a kid and I'm responsible for you. You should not be an Avenger. Yeah. Well, Which was Tony, the thing that bugged me when they first announced his age. It's like, this kid's a kid. You can't have him on the Avengers. And they've been busy dressing like, they're going, listen, I made a mistake by bringing you in. You need to stay, you know, you're, you're still a kid. You need to be away from me. I'm dangerous. Well, Tony in general and, uh, this is not really news, but Tony has become such a great, well-fleshed-out character who we've seen go through very distinctive arcs where his entire mm-hmm. world philosophies have changed entirely. And oh, so, yeah. at this, so at this point, we have a Tony who you know, is still the confident, um, 
you know, in, in his ability and like almost to the point of ridiculous arrogance, but he also is getting married. He understands responsibility. He, you know, he's a he tinker. Baby. Yeah, exactly. So like we totally get to see that kind of Tony and it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, he's a fully fleshed out three dimensional character. Yeah. So we get, so now we've got this group of strange iron spider, iron man on the ship with Ebony Ma. Then we get, of course, like you see in the trailers, uh, the guardians run into Thor, which and- may be the best part of the movie. Oh, was their interaction? Uh, yeah, it was pretty great, especially what is Drax's. It like? It's like an angel and a pirate had a baby. He calls him the angel pirate later on too. It's great. Yeah, or the pirate I mean, angel. I don't remember, but it, yeah, it's especially considering you know Batista Drax is much like bigger. But the 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 joke of the scene is supposed to be that like Thor's muscles are so like lean, essentially that they're like impressive for their. And they take time to mock Star Lord and. That's not an interaction I expected. Was I did not think that Star Lord and Thor would be having such interesting banter. Yeah, well, especially because Star Lord feels inadequate. It's funny because you know Star Lord's half celestial and Thor mm-hmm. is a god. So <laughs> yeah, and I kind of realized like he's kind of had this ego because he's been the biggest badass of the group, but Thor just shows up and he's a god and a king. Yeah, so, so it kind of puts Thor's an ego great. check on him. And it's hilarious to watch the interaction and the instant friendship between Rocket and Thor. Yeah, that it's weird because the second it happened, I was like, why didn't I predict this? This feels like such an obvious, you know, uh, intera- obvious development. And yet I never predicted that Rocket and Thor would be friends. Yeah. No, like I said, that is some hilarious stuff right there. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really kind of interesting because I know that was all written by James Gunn. James Gunn wrote all of the lines for Guardians. And you can kind of tell because the characters have evolved. Like, Drax still takes things literally, but he's developed a bit more of a sense of humor and understanding by being around other people. Yeah, well, but I'm still impressed by how well Batista plays that character, but I'm impressed any time. You know, I shouldn't be as impressed because really wrestling, like, you have to be an actor to be able to wrestle. I guess it's the fact that I was never into wrestling. I developed a um, unfair... Pers- uh, misconception about it. I'm still not into it, but I think uh, I've learned to respect the craft more, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, no, that part's really good. And then from then they there... Split, they split them up even more by having Thor, Rocket, and Groot, who is being a teenager, a complete teenager. Oh! Um, that reminds me, before I forget, am I crazy, or is that a Defenders cameo? Was that a, a Defenders cameo? Yeah, because the game Groot is playing as Defenders. Um, I mean, possible, but I don't think it's... I mean... I don't think it's I'm, intentionally aimed at that. There's, there's nothing about that that really ties directly to Defenders other than the name, so... Well, it feels like a uh, James Gunn thing that he would sneak in. It's like, listen, Marvel's never going to address the Defenders. The fans want Defenders to be addressed. I'm just going to throw this throwaway line in there. Perhaps. I mean, I could be crazy. Let me know in the comics, but I interpret that as the closest we're ever going to get to crossover. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, so then, you know, once that happens, oh, and Hulk also called Captain America. But yeah, we, we move over to um, actually, I think we skipped over because yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I pulled the plot here, so I don't fuck this up too much. I saw this on Saturday, so it's still fresh, but the order of things is a little iffy. I got notes in front of me that I'm working from. <laughs> yeah, because we skipped over um, in Scotland. We have Vision and Scarlet Witch, who are um, an item. 
which they were hinting at in uh they've been building towards that one and i'm not sure how i feel about that one i don't know i'm pro it i got nothing against it but it just like a lot of people saying this feels like it comes out of nowhere and it does but i don't think so i think that they did adequate like hinting at it in civil war that it made sense to me like in civil war i thought it was gonna happen so oh yeah no like i said it i don't I don't dislike it, but a lot of people think it just kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like it sort of does, but it sort of doesn't. And but that's why to it me, it's not like they're a bad couple. Well, that's why to me, I can't say that it comes out of nowhere because it's like if if up to this point I never even thought of them being together, then sure, then I would say it comes out of nowhere. But in Civil War, they had these scenes together that made me think, oh, okay, so these two have kind of a an understanding and a budding thing going. So since I was already thinking that this was a, a, you know a happening thing. It by definition doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of civil war. Yeah, so. and I like that Vision is evolving, which is kind of cool because that means new potential power sets. Yeah, but anyway, they um they talk about the the Mind Stone, and then uh let's see what what are these people called? Um, Midnight and Glaive, two more which Venices. were awesome. Yeah, henchmen. They show up to fight Vision and Scarlet Witch, and they get a surprise stab off Vision, so he can't use really his. Because uh, if he could use his full abilities from the beginning, like, it, you know, there's a reason why in Civil War they had to add Scarlet Witch on the other side, because she's the only one who could handle the vision. So here yeah. they handle it by having him get surprise stabbed early on, so he basically can't fight. Which I think <laughs> a lot of people kind of missed, as everyone was like, oh, they did that to cripple Vision, so he's out. Partially, but also, Vision's made of vibranium, meaning these guys are packing weapons that can rip through vibranium. Yeah. Most important. And it kind plot of went, I think people missed that one. I was like, "Oh no!" They're Most important plot point here, heat. though, is that um, they you find out that Scarlet Witch's powers somehow resemble that of an Infinity Stone, so she's capable of destroying them, which, which makes sense. Yeah, but the thing is, Scarlet Witch's power is by definition not well defined. When she first showed no. up in the I've been binge watching X-Men Evolution and Scarlet Witch just showed up and so I was Wikipediaing uh in her. And when she first showed up in the comics, her power is described literally as hex magic. That was yeah. it. Yeah. And then like a decade later they redefined it to she changes the laws of probability and reality to make the unex or unlikely uh, likely, and then they change that again so that not only can she bend lost probably, but she can completely change reality so she became like the most powerful being in the Marvel Universe. Point is, Scarlet Witch's powers are not defined properly. And they never have been, and they probably never will be. So, they're, to make it in the cinematic universe that she's basically a living Infinity Stone, I can see that. That's Fine. the best we're gonna get. She is Marvel's answer to Batman. She can do whatever, whenever, however the plots can for my own headcanon, I'm going to say that she's the living incarnation of, like, chaos. That that is the Infinity Stone that she is. Yeah, that makes sense. So, no, we get that kick-ass scene with them fighting, and then Captain America shows up out of the shadows in that kick-ass scene, and Black Widow, and we get a really kind of cool smackdown between them and the Black Order. I will and say, Captain America, Captain. in general, this movie, he didn't get to be... um. The Boy Scout, he had to be a little too somber this movie. He did have one line later on, which I'm going to skip just a moment, where him and Groot meet for the first time. And, you know, Groot goes, I am Groot. And Cap looks at him and goes, I am Steve Rogers. And it fucking floored me. Like, that was hilarious. So. Yeah, no, we get back to that. But it kind of shows his character. He's been on the run. He's had to leave his country and his friends and everything behind and you can kind of feel the weight he's carrying with him. 
Did you know that in this form, apparently, he goes by the name Nomad instead of Captain yeah. America? I didn't know that, but I didn't read a whole lot of Captain America comics growing up. Like I said, uh, mostly... Nomad's an old one. Basically, that one goes back to Captain America couldn't be Captain America anymore after Watergate because he was so disgusted by the American government. Oh, yeah. See, I mostly read Spider-Man and a handful of Thor comics growing up. That was about it. So, No, I didn't know it because the costume was stupid and the story arc was interesting. <laughs> Anyway, uh, back in space, um, Thor and Rocket show up at Nidavellir, which I was like, that's an actual Norse mythology. I, I, literally, uh-huh. I literally leaned in to uh, Scarlet. I was like, that's where the dwarves, well, some dwarves live in Norse mythology because Svartalfheim, but that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, Nidavellir, right, is the fucking, this like station of rings around a dying star and there's only one dwarf left and it's played Wait, by Peter Dinklage. Yeah, Peter Dinklage, which I didn't know he was in this movie at all. So I, was like, I hey, had cool. heard he was and completely forgot about it. And I feel like um, it's funny because I know that Peter Dinklage doesn't like doing roles just because he's a dwarf. Like he's mm-hmm. against that in general. So I feel like they compensated him by making the dwarf fucking 12 feet tall. So, And he got to be in a Marvel movie. I think that was he's like, you know, this is kind of like Game of Thrones. It, yeah. It's cool enough, I'll, I'll do it. And no, I'd totally forgotten he was there. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And the dwarves are giants. That's also cool because dwarves are relative to size. Exactly. And so then uh, with Thor's help, which by the way, Thor does what is now, in as far as uh, Marvel Universe Thor in the movies, his best feat to date. He, um, he holds Took open... the heat of a dying star. Yeah, he holds open this uh, contraption that allows the concentrated like ray of a star to pour through him. So they say outright that he takes the full force of a star and comes out of it alive. So it's like that's the best endurance feat we've seen in the Marvel movies at this point. Because, so. you know, he's a god. Yeah, exactly. I, I love then, that line. You know, what was the jokes like? You could uh, die. He says, says, you're going to, this will kill you. And Thor goes, only if I die. Yes, exactly. That's the point. Yeah, that's what killing you means. (laughs) No, that was a great little exchange. And that's one of the things I want to comment. Because we've talked about this before. I can typically get put off a movie. There's too many jokes. And this movie has a great balance. There is humor and lightness sprinkled throughout. But it is still a very somber movie. Like, it sticks to its tone Mm -hmm. very well. Also, and the moments of levity are natural. Yeah, so the dwarf's name is uh, Itri, Itri. I can never pronounce it. I've, I've read it so many times it's an actual dwarf in Norse mythology, but I, know, I never know how to pronounce it. It's E-I-T-R-I, uh, Itri, I'll go with. But so together they create Stormbreaker, which... Which I, already, again, fanboyed for that one. Yeah, they already referenced Beta Ray Bill in uh, Thor Ragnarok, but it was just like a kind of a background thing you had to pay attention for. I know because uh, Woonvog is a huge fan of Beta Ray Bill, and he pointed out to me. Yeah, Woonvog. Beta Ray Bill fans, to be honest. Yeah, Woonvog loves Beta Ray Bill. You don't meet many. Yeah, so so he he spotted it like that, which is if you go back and watch uh, Thor Ragnarok, the tower has the uh, like sculpture of the champions' faces in it, and one of the faces looks a lot like Beta Ray Bill's face. Like you could mm-hmm. argue it's not, but it looks very close. But and then this, Stormbreaker being introduced. Yeah, this is the most overt, definite reference to him, though, because so for those who might not know, because Beta Ray Bill is actually pretty obscure, even in the age of the internet, Beta Ray Bill is one of the only other beings in the Marvel Universe who could wield Mjolnir. But since Mjolnir 
you know, belonged to Thor, they straight up made him his own Mjolnir, but they called it Stormbreaker. So the Stormbreaker that they create here is the most overt reference to Beta Ray Bill yet. And it's an accent that Beta Ray Bill come in. Oh yeah, I'd love it. I figure if Chris Hemsworth wants to stop being Thor, which, you know, it's been a decade, I understand, then bringing in Beta Ray Bill to fill that kind of gap makes sense to me. I thought that's why they did it in the first place. Yeah, I'm, this, I think that they kind of laid some groundwork for potential new character introductions, which we'll get to when we reach the end of the, vid- uh, end of the video. We'll talk about that. Yeah, and then uh, while they're creating this axe, which, by the way, Groot's arms being the fucking handle, I mean, Groot basically didn't get to do a whole lot, but that was pretty awesome. So... My only problem with that was I saw, like, how strong is Groot's arms, though? Well, I feel like once they were attached to the metal of Stormbreaker that they were the they magic part infused of, it all. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it's an enchantment, essentially. I'll take that. That that I can I can I can roll with that. Yeah, especially because it's like living uh material attached itself to the head of Stormbreaker. So Which is anyway. awesome. Yeah, yeah. But while this is happening, um Gamora, Drax, uh Mantis and Star Lord run into Thanos who's uh, seemingly torturing the collector, which, by the way, there was definitely a snatch reference there. I'm telling was you. Was there? Where was there a snatch? So, for those who don't know, Snatch is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's easily like the most quotable movie of all time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in it, Benicio del Toro, who is the collector, uh, plays a guy named Frankie Fourfingers. Now, the whole point of the movie Snatch is that Frankie Fourfingers and some Russian mobsters steal a diamond, like a huge fucking diamond. And then uh, they have to, like, a whole bunch of stuff ensues. But anyway, there's a point. Yeah. There's a point in the movie where uh, it's right at the very beginning when they're stealing the diamond, where Benicio del Toro has this rabbi, essentially, uh, and he's pistol whipping him and going, Vet. Where is the stone? Where is the stone? And then I swear Thanos asks the collector in that exact same tone. He says, where is the stone with that same inflection? And I picked up it on, up on it right there. I'm going to go back and watch this again at some point before it's out of theaters. I'm going to look for that. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I was like, the fact that he's doing it to Benicio Del Toro and saying it so closely, it's like, that can't be a coincidence. So anyway, yeah, but, we need to really kind of see Thanos see the infinity of the uh, reality stone be used in well, a really cool way. It's super important because uh, Gamora comes out and stabs Thanos in the throat. And then as he's dying, Gamora starts crying, showing that even though she hates him, he was still her father for like 20 years or something like that. So there's some real mixed emotions there. Yeah. But then it turns out to all be a false reality Thanos created, but he did it to see if Gamora cares and he's like so you do care it's you know so hard to tell with some people so you got to check so then he you know takes her and uh by the way this is also the beginning of like Star-Lord's been a great character in both Guardians and they really play up his um moral difficulties in this movie because yeah because Gamora makes him promise that if she gets captured by Thanos to kill her so that Thanos won't find out the location of the soul stone and there's this real great kind of edge of your seat moment of, is Star-Lord going to kill Gamora? Is it going to happen? And she's begging him to do it. And you can really see the tension and the reluctance. And he pulls the trigger and then bubbles come out. And Thanos kind of smiles and goes, I like you, before disappearing. Which, by the way, I, 
um, as sad and as like much of a pain that scene is. Something about Thanos liking Star Lord was especially like uh, that. That's interesting. But uh, it's important because you know now that Thanos has Gamora, we find out that off screen Gamora found out where the uh, Soul Stone is. Which has and been so, the biggest ongoing mystery leading up to this movie. Everyone's had their crazy theories. I think the weirdest one I heard was that Tony is the Soul Stone. <laughs> I remember a lot you, of people got behind that one. I remember you saying you thought it was going to be Adam Warlock showing up. I was convinced it was Adam Warlock, but I like this solution better. Yeah, so Thanos tortures um, Nebula to get Gamora to tell her where the Soul Stone is. I think it's important to note that he doesn't. And it is important to note, he doesn't torture Gamora. He tortures Nebula to get Gamora to do it. And she finally, you know, tells him it's on some planet called uh, Vormir, which considering it has a link, um, it probably is... Oh, no, it doesn't look like it's that important. Anyway, but yeah, it's on Vormir, and they go there, and the cameo that I was not at all expecting, but was super happy to see, you find out that on Vormir, the keeper of the Soul Stone is the fucking Red Skull. Yes, I was so excited. And my wife didn't recognize who that was at first. Now, there was a lot of people that didn't quite pick up on who that was. But I I saw the missing nose. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, yes. And they recast him, which I'm okay with because... I didn't... Well, that's the thing. is like, I didn't know they recasted him until after the movie and I went and checked. So the guy they recast him as, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he's a voice actor. And he gets that fucking Hugo Weaving Red Skull voice down so well that when I was watching it I was like, I can't believe they got Hugo Weaving to get back under the makeup. They didn't but I thought they had. Yeah, no, I'm excited because now it's like, okay Red Skull's back in play. We can have him come back. Yes. Now having him be the Keeper of the Soul Stone, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't care because Red Skull I kind of like it because it makes it seem like the Infinity Stones have a mind of their own. Which I totally believe. Which, yeah, makes sense. They're, you know, formed in the beginning of the universe. It's important. Yeah, and it's important. He reveals that he became the keeper of the stone, but he couldn't actually get it himself because in order to get the soul stone, you have to sacrifice someone you love. And the Red Skull had no one he loved. So he literally could not get the soul stone. Yeah, and we get this great moment of Gamora going, ha, there's no one you, oh, shit. And then Thanos starts crying because in his own twisted, psychotic way, he loves Gamora. But, and uh, he says, so he has a line where he goes, I refused my destiny once and vowed never to do it again. So even though we've now found out that this villain, who just seems like a murdering psychopath, actually, the reason why he didn't torture Gamora is because he actually loves her. He just... Well, it harkens back because there's a line in the first Guardians where he's yelling at Ronan. He said, and you alienated my favorite daughter. So we kind of set this up. Mm-hmm. Was you the scene we kind of skipped over where Thanos and Gamora are talking at his oh, throne? Oh, the flashback to when he first comes to her planet. No, no, not the flashback. Oh, oh that's important too, which is when that he was first... was a good scene. It was great when he first finds Gamora and he has his men destroy half her... or kill half her planet, but he saves her. But I mean that they're on at Thanos' throne and they're just talking and Gamora talks about how she hated her life. She hated that throne. She hated him. But Thanos is a line where he says something like, I always imagined you sitting here one day saying that not only did he like just see her as a captive, but he literally wanted to groom her to take over his position when he died. Like that's what he had planned. So. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, and then like I said, they killed her and this is like, Oh, we haven't had a death in a while. I forgot that, you yeah. know, 
he's throwing off Mean Cliff, cliff too. And I didn't think Gamora was going to die. It's like, okay, Gamora's not on my radar for people that can die. I don't know why that didn't occur to me that she could potentially die, but she just wasn't on that list. By the way, one, wow. one semi-negative note, and I, it's a very, very minor thing, and it's not this movie's fault, but uh, so they throw Gamora off, or Thanos throws Gamora off a cliff, and it shows her body splayed, and the second that it, the camera's on her, I suddenly realized that, like, I think 96, 98% of movies where someone falls and dies, their leg is doing this very specific thing <laughs> where it's, like, bent a certain way. And I was like, why is that in every goddamn movie? I don't know. Again, Certain not this movie's weird fault. weird things but... get repeated in movies. It's like the apple thing. The apple thing? Assholes oh. eat apples in movies. Yeah. There's also corn, uh, coroners eating food around bodies. But mm-hmm. There's all sorts of weird little things that are just ingrained in Hollywood for whatever reason. But now that I've said it, you will not be able to not see it when someone falls. Their leg yeah. will be bent a very certain way. So. You no, know, now that I'm thinking about it. But anyways, look, so now, and you know, at this point in the movie, my wife turns to me and says, do you think he's going to get all the stones in the movie? In this, in this movie? And I'm like, I kind of think he is. Like, I thought that he's going to maybe get half, but not all of them. Yeah, no, considering how long this movie is, it feels actually pretty fast-paced because there's a lot going on in the movie. There's so, no real downtime, so the pacing really moves along. Yeah, so like the next thing that happens, right, is we've got, um, uh, we go back to you know Iron Man and Spider-Man who managed to save uh, Doctor Strange from some excessive torture at the hands of Ebony Ma, and they shoot him out in space and kill him. Which was kind of cool. And again, this is where I'll touch on the Black Order real quick. I'm not super bummed that they all kind of went out in minor, lesser, insignificant ways. Because to me, they're there to be the mini-bosses. They're there to have something for the Avengers to punch on and act as opposition and not really be anything more. They're henchmen, and they look they're cool also, and they do their job. They're also there to be something the Avengers can win against. Yeah, and it gives you this false sense of hope. <laughs> yep. So after they, you know, kill Ebony Mong, they decide, actually, instead of trying to fight Thanos on Earth, where he could fucking destroy everything, let's fight him on wherever the ship is going to, since it was going to meet him. So it, it ends was, up going to... Yep, Titan. It's yep, what it is. So they get there, and you find out some stuff about, you know, Titan, like... Well, actually, that happens later. But what does happen that's really good, another one of, like, okay, Doctor Strange is the Sorcerer Supreme, is he uses the Time Stone to view, if I remember correctly, 14 million and five different potential futures, and only one of them uh, they beat Thanos, but while he's doing it, he's doing like the creepy horror movie thing where he's meditating and his hands and head are moving and really janky. I love that mantis joke. I haven't known you very long, but is that normal? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. No, and again, there's some really good, you know, character interaction. And this all kind of comes again, putting together this plan to defeat Thanos. And it's this really kind of cool. We see all of them interacting and using their powers, the Guardians, Iron Man, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man are all interacting and fighting together to defeat Thanos, and we get this great "they're gonna get it" win moment. I honestly well, hold on before Thanos... before you do that, we skipped over because when the Guardians and fucking Iron Man and Doctor Strange and Peter Parker all come together, they fight it first, thinking they're on the opposite sides. And like, I oh, had a moment right. before that happened. I don't get me wrong, I like Star Lord, but I always thought Star Lord was just kind of a crummier version of Iron Man. To be honest, not personality wise, obviously, he's a very different personality. Power set wise. Yeah, but like 
he makes a good um argument for his existence power set wise when they fight <laughs> like he he manages to get like peter into a not a headlock but he's got you know his gun to peter's head so like it, it goes pretty well i mean obviously they don't kill each other but yeah they fight at oh first. and that leads to my favorite joke of all time wait you're from earth yeah and you know you're you this isn't uh Amanda says oh so you must be the great defenders like kevin bacon Kevin Bacon? You mean from Footloose? Oh my god, is it still the greatest movie that ever was? It never was! <laughs> yeah. I hate Footloose. I'm not a big fan of 80s, you know, films on the most part. I mean, there's the, the action okay. is one up, but I, I hate... I like the, Footloose, but oh, still. It's dumb. I don't like that. So that joke made me crack up laughing. We can discuss that another time, but what's great is that they've decided to make Peter into, you know, one of the best jokes from Civil War was that, hey, you know that really old movie Empire Strikes Back? And, you know, the joke being that, like, that's a super important movie, but Peter's really young. Well, they've turned it into a recurring thing. Cause, like, Which I know a lot of people don't like. I like it because it's the idea that Peter is, you know, pop culture savvy because he's a teenager in the fucking 21st century. But and I think that's what people don't like. Yeah. To me, though, that's exactly what Spider-Man should be. So. Yeah. So, no. So then, you know, we get the big fight. And I honestly thought that Thanos would have fused the gauntlet to his hand or something to prevent that kind of thing from happening. Because that seems like the level of dedication yeah, he would they go try to. try to pull the gauntlet off of him. And he throws a fucking moon at them. And I was like, that's how you use, like, the reality and the power stuff. Oh, step. that big, <laughs> epic finale fight between them. We are seeing Thanos using all of the Infinity Stones to Properly, all sorts yeah. of hell. And, and Iron Man has one of my favorite Iron Man lines ever, which is just... If you throw another moon at me, I'm going to be pissed or something like that. But it's just yeah, I mean, oh, and it's really cool because again, you're getting the sense of power that Thanos wields. He is taking on all of these guys and not even breaking a sweat. Yeah, although the main highlights are him fighting Doctor Strange and Iron Man. Like he, you know, uh, all the rest of them get their blows in, obviously, but like those are the main highlights. Oh, all I do gotta say though, so they have they've basically beaten him at one point. Like they're pulling the the gauntlet off, but then it gets revealed that he killed Gamora and Star-Lord loses his cool because he was in love with Gamora and basically keeps punching Thanos until it breaks out of the mantis-induced like coma. kind of coma thing he was. And on one hand, it's like, all right, Star-Lord just doomed everyone. But on the other hand, it's like, that's exactly why Star-Lord's an interesting character, though, because this is a flawed decision made from a very understandable and real place of like utter grief and despair and anger yeah and tony did the same thing in civil war when he found out bucky killed his parents it's no different exactly so it's one of those things mad at star lord if you're gonna get mad at star lord you gotta get mad at iron man and if you got and you know yeah it was a dumb decision but star lord isn't exactly known for making intelligent well thought out decisions well, that's the thing. It's like not every character makes the best decision. In fact, a lot of times the most interesting characters are the ones who make bad decisions. See basically every television show that emulates The Sopranos. Yeah, so. and Star-Lord has always kind of been ruled by his heart. Exactly. He's an emotion-driven person. So like, even though it's a really dumb decision on a galactic scale, it's one that makes perfect sense for the situation he's in. So. Mm-hmm. so yeah, you know, then we get to this big beatdown, and it looked like Iron Man's going to get it. Hold on, before the Iron Man part, um, the, the the Doctor Strange part, just to reiterate, like, yeah, they start throwing s- fucking spells oh, yeah. at each other. Like, Thanos is using, you know, the Power Stone and the Rally Stone to, like, chuck all sorts of creation at him. Doctor Strange is multiplying and throwing, like, 
spores of energy at him and shit, and it, it is... Spears of light, and he, look, he's using actual magic instead of just, hey, look, my hands glow like Iron Fist. Yeah, it was awesome. And then, uh, I can't remember what Thanos says to him. He's got a... Gr- oh, he just talks... Anyway, not important. But, so yeah, for the Iron Man thing. Now, going into this movie, I thought, personally, that Iron Man and Captain America were going to take... We're going to eat it, because both yeah, of them had replacements. Yeah, that was what I was convinced of. So when Thanos, by the way, Iron Man is using this fucking like nanotech suit, and I didn't notice it at first, but every time the suit got damaged, part of the suit that was undamaged would like move to replace the damaged part, and that's how nanotechnology in a suit would work, and it was pretty awesome. Yeah, no, that was, I like the suits keep changing. That's one of the cool things about Iron Man is they keep drawing inspiration from the comics. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but Thanos ends up stabbing Tony with his own sword. And, yeah, uh, and uh, no, I saw that and like, I knew this was coming, but this is still, wow, Tony Stark's about to bite it. And the then... best part of it, though, in my opinion, so hmm. Tony, as brilliant as he is, whose superpower is how smart he is, unlike, <laughs> no offense to Batman, maybe actually all offense to all Batman. All offense to Batman. <laughs> like Batman. Batman. Batman's really smart, but really his superpower is, is money. He uses money to get his degrees and shit like that and his, his power. His superpower is he has writers and fanboys. Yeah, Tony, on the other hand, his power is his mind. If he wasn't born into money, Tony would have fucking made himself uh, money with his brain. So, anyway, besides the point. Point is, though, that he's still just a human. And Thanos, like, has this dialogue with him where not only he knows who Tony is, like, before they even fought, right? And he respects him. Like, this is just a regular human here, a really, really smart one, but still just a human. And Thanos, this guy attempting to wield the power of literal God, like takes a moment to say how much he respects him and how much he hopes that humanity will remember him. I was like, that's yeah. a really good, like, just emotion scene well, right there. Thanos has got some really great lines and some a sense of gravitas to him that you're like, I might follow this guy. I can kind of get behind him. Yeah. Anyway, we're... We're approaching kind of the end, so let's try to speed this up a bit. But the, the point is that Tony doesn't die. Doctor Strange gives up the Time Stone to save him, and it's hinted that he does it because that's part of the the Only one way we win. Yeah, the one vision involves that Thanos has to get the Time Stone, which he means does. too that everything that happens afterward is still part of that one event. So, in my opinion, it seems that. And you know the only what uh, what they had to do was stall him long enough for what was going on back on Earth, which is fucking. They take Vision to Wakanda, and we get the trying... kick-ass invasion of Wakanda scene. Yeah, because they're trying to get the Mind Stone out of Vision without killing him. And only Wakanda can do it essentially because Shuri is amazing. Cap yeah. and all of them fight crazy, like they look like creatures from Doom, really. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Uh, they kind of look like, uh, my first thought was if you've read Planet Hulk at all, there's a race of forearm bug men that live there. I thought that might be where they're coming from, but they all seem to be mindless. So obviously it's not them. I don't know. It was awesome. Yeah. But they, there's this huge fight. 
fucking banner yes. fights in the Hulkbuster armor because Hulk won't come out, so this is the next best thing. We uh, get M'Baku back doing his awesome war chant. God, I love M'Baku. The second he showed yeah. up, I literally turned it to my lady and I was like, I love M'Baku. He's awesome. Yeah, and a really cool thing I found out, their, their war chant that the Wakandans are, you know, saying as they're marching onto the field, which is really cool because they look awesome. But I found out that's actually, I don't remember what language it is, but it's an African language and it translates roughly to uh, hold the line, stand the ground, something along those lines. I will it's, never hear the phrase hold the line without thinking of Mass Effect. Sorry, but go on. Well, it's basically this whole thing. They're saying we will stand here and we will die because we don't, this is, we're not going to, we don't get to run away. This is a stand or die situation. Yeah. And we get so, a kick ass all female fight. Yeah, and also Stormbreaker allows fucking oh. Thor to activate the Bifrost, so him and Rocket and Groot show up. And Thor, there's a moment. More awesome character interactions. There is a moment. It's literally about a tenth of a second long, where Thor, with his new giant fucking axe, uh, jumps up in the air. There's storm clouds all around him. Lightning is surging through him and the axe, and he's like about to come down and. Even though he looked great in Thor Ragnarok, there has never been a single frame where he looked more like the God of Thunder than he does in this one moment. And I want it fucking, like, as my wallpaper, I want it framed. It's amazing looking. Yeah. And to me, that is right there is the pinnacle of what I think this movie did right. Everyone felt appropriately powerful. Yeah. Scarlet Witch felt everyone. Scarlet Witch, Thor, Iron Man, Black Panther, everyone felt on the power scale they should be. Like Agreed. everyone has been kind of scaling them back, and I think well, partly it's because if you give them the power that they have in the comics, or they should potentially have, it turns into short fights. But this <laughs> one, they just let them be. Yeah. I mean, so Scarlet, when Scarlet Witch takes the field, she's flinging stuff left and right, and I love this great joke. Why weren't you out here earlier? Well, when you say stuff, it's important to note that they're you know they're fighting this army, and then suddenly these. I'm going to try not to exaggerate here, but these four like razor tires that are roughly. I don't know, maybe three, four hundred feet tall each come out and start shredding up the lines. And Scarlet Witch shows up and without sweating, really, she just flicks her hand and like lifts all of them and then throws them back in like the other direction. Because, yeah, Scarlet Witch is, like we said, not defined. She's basically an Infinity Stone as a person. So. Yeah. So we're getting all this great action. We're getting these great scenes. I love the Rocket Winter Soldier interaction when Rocket asks him <laughs> how much for the gun. How much for the arm? Not for sale. I want to get that arm. I love how this was a weird little throwaway joke because it become a reoccurring character trait. Well, Marvel's really good at doing that. Like I said, they take these jokes that like they know people latch on to and they bring them back, but I don't feel like too much. Like that's the only there's only two jokes of Rocket in the in the movie about him taking parts. This one and one where he gives Thor an eye. Which that... I thought was kind of dumb. I didn't like that we immediately went back on eye patch Thor. Uh, I'm half with you there. On, on the other hand, it made me no longer mad because I thought the trailer lied to me because the original trailer didn't have Thor with the patch. So I thought that they, you know, were hiding it to, uh, you know, for the reveal. But so on one hand, I'm kind of glad that they no longer lied to me. But on the other hand, I like that losing the eye made him closer to being All Father essentially, which is basically what he is now. That the actual All Father is dead. So. Yeah, but anyways, so we get this kick-ass, just epic fist-pumping, heart-raging, extravaganza, orgy of action with everyone teaming up and fighting. Cap's kicking ass. Groot's kicking ass. Everyone's kicking ass. We're going to see Wakanda at battle again. And 
God, I think I like I Wakanda. I will say... Wakanda's army is right up there for me and how much I love it, right up there with uh, the Asgardian army. I want to see those two go at it. Yeah, oh, I just want to see more M'Baku. By the way, I want M'Baku's clothing. Like, particularly <laughs> his armor, I want it. So, yeah, I, I need about six I'm more awesome. inches. <laughs> well, I, I want a version that would fit me. But I'm just saying I love how it looks. But, yeah, uh, shit, man, all, that, all that's happening. Then Thanos it, shows up, and by this point... Quiet. Yeah, at this point, he has five of the Infinity Stones, and no one can touch him. Like, we watched no. him fight to basically, like, somewhat evenly with Iron Man until, you know, stabbed Iron Man. But at this point, he just keeps clenching his fists and just throwing everyone yeah, around people him. People are going left and right. Cap gets in there, and he puts up the best fight. Like, he stops him. And you can kind of see this begrudging respect on Thanos' faces before he decks Cap down. Just this huge smackdown. It's like, okay, yeah, that's cool and all, but I got shit to do. Well, that's an important thing that, again, I think we looked over, is Thanos has nothing but respect for everyone standing in his way. Like, Thanos' entire philosophy in this movie, right, is that he watched his planet die to what he saw was overpopulation. He believes the whole universe is suffering from overpopulation, and that the only way to save the universe from killing itself is to kill half of all life so that the other half can better use the resources, right? That's that's a philosophy that's like, all right, you're still a fucking psychopath for trying to kill an unknowable number of people, but the the mathematics of what you're saying have a certain logic to it that you just can't deny. Yeah, he's purely logical and unemotional about it. Oh, no, he's very emotional about it. That's important. Well, unemotional in the killing. He doesn't feel guilty about killing. He feels he has to. Well, I'd say he, I'd say he does well, feel he does, about actually. it, but he feels like it is his. Uh, he keeps talking about his willpower and that he mm -hmm. has the willpower to push through and do what must be done. This is what makes him an interesting character that we can see that this is not something he wants to do. This is something he feels that he must do in order to save yeah. the universe. So we're getting down to the end. We got this ticking clock of Scarlet Witches trying to destroy the Soul Stone and potentially destroy Vision before because yeah, they couldn't. Because Wakanda couldn't get it out of him without killing him. I'm, yeah. So said now we've got just Vision there, and he's like, "All right, get, destroy it, kill me." And there's a great emotional scene. I've heard some people say like, "Why are we supposed to care so much about uh, them?" And I'll say that you know I, I cared personally. So. Yeah, because we've already we've seen so many character deaths, and this is kind of you know a callback to Gamora and uh, Star Lords, and it's like, oh. Well, we all knew Vision was going to die, but we thought it would be just kind of, you know, sanitary. Thanos walks up, smashes his head, takes the stone. Not this, Wanda, you have to, please. And you're flushed to think about killing your own loved one in this situation. And it's like, okay, how's this going to work? Is she going to destroy it and get away? Or is Thanos going to show up the last moment? It's like, you know, is there going to be a flash of purple and Wanda's going to disappear? What's going to happen? And then the stone explodes. And it's like, oh, wow. I can't manage it. I can't thought... manage it. Yeah, and I was like, well, that makes sense because if Thanos gets all six, then he's, you know, gone at that point. There would be nothing to do. So it makes sense that now they got to deal with him with five stones. But then he fucking uses the time stone. And I didn't figure it out immediately. My girlfriend did. Scarlet knew, like, right off the bat what was going to happen. But I, I admit I didn't pick up on it. But yeah, he just activates the time stone and his thumb rewinds time and brings. Like, oh, yeah, he can do that. I forgot about that. Fuck. Yeah, brings Vision back only to pick him up by the throat and then, like, thrust his fingers into his forehead and just rip the stone out. It is fucking brutal. Yeah, which is weird because he's a robot and it shouldn't feel that brutal, but it's just... That is... Wow. 
Yeah, and then of course he has all five, and the movie has said like four times that once he has all five, he just has to snap his fingers. Which shy, um, uh, sorry, but uh, anyway, uh, so Scarlett said to me that she asked me how come in the earlier in the movie he has to clench his fists to activate it, but here they keep saying he can snap his fingers. My explanation is that before the gauntlet just functioned as like it's a holder of the stones, so you have to clench your fist to choose one. But once it has all five, it is beyond just a holder of the stones. It becomes an object of omnipotence. Yeah, so it's like transformed to another state where it's just, you know, all. Anyway, point is, he gets all five stones, he's just about to do the thing, Thor shows up, throws Stormbreaker, like Thanos does the, he's the Dragon Ball Z kind of thing, like he shoots a beam from the gauntlet, but Stormbreaker is like basically the second greatest weapon in the universe. That's what they built it to be. Yeah, so it, it goes all the way through plunges itself into Thanos's chest and Thor gets down, like grabs it, pushes it in more, has that great line, I told you I'd kill you. Yeah, yeah. and I thought, oh, really? They're going to kill Thanos? I'm not ready for Thanos to go yet. This isn't how I wanted this to end. And then Thanos goes, you should have aimed for the head and snaps, and snaps. his fingers. And then teleports away. And yeah. then the last bit of the movie is watching fucking 80% of the stars that it cast just disintegrate. And yeah. The worst, the worst two, in my opinion, one is Peter Parker, obviously, who starts. Oh, we, we'll circle back and talk about that one because I definitely want to talk about that one. Okay, I'll, I'll come back to that because that's. But the next one isn't as bad viscerally, but something about the way Star Lord goes, like he doesn't cry or anything. He just kind of looks up, and he says something. I can't remember, but it's something about the way he says it and the look in his eyes that hurt me a lot. He looks shocked. Yeah. Like he doesn't believe this is happening. No, the Spider-Man death. I'll let you uh, explain it, but Again, I'm, I'm a huge Spider-Man it. fan. This kind of made me well up, and I was surprised because I'm not a Spider-Man fan. But go ahead and talk about this scene. Yeah. I think they were going to kill Spider-Man because we already know Homecoming Two is going to happen, so we know Spider-Man will come back. But I don't think that takes away from just how good the scene is because Peter starts disintegrating, and he does the Tenth Doctor thing of, you know, I, I don't want to, I'm not ready, and then he, you know, Tony goes, Tony, yeah. to save him. And it's heart wrenching. Yeah, and he hugs Tony, and Tony's hugging him, and he's like, "This is his hero, and his hero can't do anything." And meanwhile, Tony sees how afraid he is. It's it's visceral. Meanwhile, Tony sees this kid that he basically is the reason why this kid's even involved in this. Now, really, if you think about it logically, it doesn't matter because Thanos is killing half of the entire universe. Peter would have died anyway, but that doesn't matter because in the moment, this is what emotions are going through these people's heads, right? Yeah, I Tony, goddamn. That, Tony's got to be near suicidal with the guilt that he carries. Yeah. And yeah, we watch fucking like Bucky, Scarlet Witch, Groot, um, Groot, uh, Groot Black Drax, Mantis, everybody but Rocket in the Guardians is gone. Who else is gone? Uh, I think the Hulk, total char- Hulk's dead. <laughs> I think the total count they said is like 18 characters die. Yeah, like the only ones left, movie. like. Uh, Nebula and Iron Man are left in their group. Thor yeah. is left. Thor and Rocket is left from his group. Thor, Rocket, and Cap. Yeah, and Cap, and that's like it. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's like, "Well, they'll just come back in the next movie, maybe," but that doesn't take away from the fact that this movie just ended with all our favorite characters just disappearing. Yeah, and we know that some of them will come back. Like I said, Spider-Man's definitely gonna come back because we know he's gonna have another fucking oh, movie. Oh, Black Panther! That was the Black big shot. Yeah, Black Panther will definitely come back in some way. But the question is, like, because anyone who's read the Infinity 
Gauntlet comic knows that plenty of those people died and ended up getting brought back. So it's a matter of who will they bring back and who won't they? And it's probably going to come down to what actors' contracts are up, essentially. But Yeah, but there's a great uh, quote from one of the head writers of Captain America during the Civil War arc, and they were talking about the death of Captain America, and he says, the death isn't important. It's the resurrection that matters. Yeah, so we'll... I feel like even though, like I said, even though I know Spider-Man's going to come back, it doesn't take away from what's going on with these characters in this moment. Yeah, they so, are, for all intents and purposes, dead and gone. And so then Thanos, who has said before that once he's done, he's just going to watch the sunset on a grateful universe. We just cut to him in like a fucking tent somewhere, just like slowly breathing and looking out as a sunset. Also, the Infinity Gauntlet looked all fucked fucked up so like yeah i don't that know much power seemed to damage He's it got enough power to open a portal but i don't know if you can use it all together at once again so that'll be an interesting one going into the next movie by so, the way in the in the infinity gauntlet comic wasn't it um was it gamora or was it nebula who basically fixed everything it was one yeah. of them it was one of his daughters got he, the infinity gauntlet it was nebula see and nebula's still alive so I'm, i was like I'm curious to see the Tony Stark Nebula team up going into the next movie. Considering she's a fucking cyborg, he could probably upgrade her tech. <laughs> What's going to happen there? So, no, before we wrap up, because we're running long, but we knew yeah. this would be. This is oh, a and there's a post credits, and there's a post credit scene. Obviously, just one where we watch Nick Fury and Maria Hill both dissolve as well. And right as Nick Fury's dissolving, we hear him start saying "motherfucker." Because yes, Samuel Jackson, it's Samuel L. Jackson, and we get and he, the little teaser of he sent a message out to Captain Marvel. Yeah, which uh, Scarlet didn't know the symbol, so I, I explained. I don't think a lot of people did. Captain, I mean, yeah, well, Captain Marvel isn't as well known, but neither were the Guardians. And Captain yeah. Marvel is the one I'm looking. I'm super looking forward to Captain Marvel, mostly because oh. I admit it's it's kind of a weird reasoning, but this will be the first female-led Marvel movie. You know, we had Wonder Woman last year, which was pretty awesome in DC. And I'm like, how did you let DC beat you to this? Seriously. So Yeah. You've had Black Widow for nearly a decade and did nothing with her. And not... Apparently they're working on that one. I don't know how that one will work out. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, I don't know much about... Um, is it Brie Larson? I yeah. Say? I, I don't know much about her, but... Um, I, I saw her in Kong Skull Island, and that's about it. Yeah. But uh, at this point, I feel like Marvel doesn't really make bad movies in general. They yeah, make even on a hot Let's be honest. Yeah. So the movie is great. It it we're only getting two movies between this and the follow up, Ant Man and the Wasp, and which is I think can happen concurrently with this one, and then uh, Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel, they've said I think Kevin Feige said that they plan for Captain Marvel to be like the most powerful Avenger. Which makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they kind of need something to go toe-to-toe with Thanos. But I want to talk about Ant-Man real quick. Ant-Man is in a crappy position movie-wise. It happened right after Age of Ultron. We have this big, heavy uh, Avengers movie, and then we got to do Ant-Man. And it feels small-scale and diminutive to me. And I feel bad for Ant-Man. It's Funny. like, no matter how good Ant-Man is, I'm not going to be at the same level of excitement going to see you as I was in Avengers movie. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Ant-Man and the Wasp, though. I feel like, based on just its title card and trailer, it's going to be kind of pulpy, and I'm I'm looking forward to that pulpiness. It's like a but, lighter maybe, fare than Infinity War. Yeah, definitely. and I think maybe we need that because I don't know about you, but my movie theater was completely silent at the, as the credits rolled. Well, do you understand? Like, I didn't know that they were... I didn't think Disney was going to have the balls to kill 
its characters. I was hoping that Tony and Cap would die. Ironic that two they live, but they kill fucking everyone else, basically. Yeah. And I have never been in a movie theater that's been silent at the end. Because the yeah, man, the the cojones to do that. Yeah. Well, I think everyone's sitting there going, wait a second, that means so and so's dead, and oh my god, so and so's dead, and what about no, not so and so? And then you're processing that and you're trying to handle, well, that was awesome, but I don't feel so good now. What happened? Yeah, we gotta wait a year to see how they how they deal with this. So Yeah, and that's the problem Ant-Man's in. We gotta go through Ant-Man being all fun and cheery going, man, Spider-Man's dead. What do I care about you, Ant-Man? Yeah, that's why I'm I pretty sure that little Peter Parker melt into dust. What can you do? That's why I'm pretty sure Ant-Man's story will be concurrent, so not like afterwards, because they do it afterwards, and they'll have to deal with, you know, half of the planet dissolving into nothing. No, I think I think <laughs> it really should happen, you know, slightly before, concurrent with, and then maybe end on that dark note. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm super looking forward to uh, – so we talked about how where this, you know, places, and I don't have my, my top five list in front of me. Um, I would say personally – I don't like this movie quite as much as Civil War, but that's only because the uh, emotional beat at the end of Civil War hit me very personally. But yeah, this is definitely top five material. Like this movie this, is great for me. It's definitely the top five. It may have squeezed the number one. Yeah, it, I it's have to get a couple more viewings in before I can definitively put it in the number one slot. But yeah, I think for me it's probably a salt, like number two, like only beaten by Civil War. So because my number one right now is Avengers, and I. Like I said, I think it was a better movie structurally and technically than the first Avengers, but the enjoyment will really be determined on how many repeat, after my repeat viewings, and I really can go through knowing what happens and analyze this a bit more heavily. Because one of the things, I don't know if you noticed this, but I thought this was brilliant filmmaking. Every time a character appeared, their theme song played. I didn't notice, but to be fair, the symphonic world of uh, Marvel has always been a difficult topic like the actual avengers theme itself is super iconic as fuck but i couldn't sing anyone else's theme if you asked me to yeah and that's kind of things i don't know them but when i heard them it's like oh that's thor oh that's iron man oh that's guardians oh that's spider-man this all oh that's captain america so no this was a fantastic movie i mean if you had to give it a rating what's your rating for it oh um i would give it probably a nine five out of ten and that last point five really is just for like you know I'll, so structurally this was a difficult movie i don't think i don't think anyone could have necessarily done it better considering how many characters scenes and things you have to deal with like i feel like it, they did it best but that doesn't change the fact that it is you know kind of uneven like there's a, you know plenty of scenes where it's like all right not that i don't like these guys but what the fuck's going on with these guys right mm -hmm. so Really, it's some not pacing issues, but some pacing weakness. I will say, uh, some structural issues. Um, anyone who says that like this is just a cheap blockbuster, which don't be wrong, Keep I feel like, out. yeah, I feel like that's a bullshit argument because Avengers One is just a blockbuster with no real difficult plot to it, but it's fucking awesome. And I'm, I'm certainly the kind of person who generally wants more for my movies than just cheap thrills. Okay. Uh, now, there are certain cases where if the action is so good, I'll overwrite those circuits, see Pacific Rim, for example. But there's a reason why I get disappointed by things like Spider-Man Homecoming and Thor The Dark World. The action's great, but there's not enough substance there for me. This movie, while full of action, full of jokes, full of banter, there is substance there. There's philosophy, there's emotion, there's, there's a lot going on in this movie. 
Yeah, no, uh, for that reason, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 right now because it had so much to juggle character-wise, plot-wise, event-wise, and none of that really took me out of it. I didn't really feel it as a weakness. It does it so well and well enough that I'm just going to give it that honorary perfect score because it does so much right when it had so much going against it. Yeah, that's... It, it's... I am not... I mean, 10 years of build-up, and I think it was totally worth it. Yeah, and I know it probably makes me a terrible person, but god damn, I love Thanos. Yeah, no, I, I mean... Again, I heard some reviewers say that he's not relatable um, while he's understandable. I disagree with that. I think Thanos is extremely relatable. I mean, his his plan is utterly psychotic. But like I said, there's a mathematical logic to it that you can't deny. And the emotions behind him and what he's doing, I feel like, are very relatable. Oh, yeah. All right, so this one's running long, so let's move ahead to our suggestions of the week. Okay, I, I will admit my suggestion of the week has fucking nothing to do with what we're talking about. But sometimes um, it's just the way it goes. I've been, like I said, I've been uh, binge watching X Men Evolution mostly so I could talk about it next week. Uh, spoilers, but uh, I needed something to play while watching it. So, like, even though I just got God of War, I can't play that and watch them at the same time. I've I've been replaying Legend of Dragoon, but that's a narrative game. I can't play that much at the same time. So I started. I picked up an old game I have, uh, Star Trek Birth of the Federation. It is a turn-based strategy game set in the Star Trek universe. So basically, it's civilization, but Star Trek. I mean, if that doesn't sell you on it, then there's really nothing else I can say. I, I play as the Klingons, and I'm taking over the whole fucking galaxy. And it's one of those games that, like you know, any good Civ game, takes a long... I'm like on turn 130 right now, and I've explored maybe 15% of the galaxy. That's Those are, I love games like that, that you can just kind of pick up and play and goes on forever. And if you put it down, no big deal. It's not that hard to get back into. Yeah. Problem with this game, though, it's really not available anywhere. And I would never, as a um, responsible uh, internet personality, even though I'm not nearly popular enough to be considered an internet personality, uh, but I would never condone pirating of any kind considering that this game basically isn't available on any online store that I could find, there is a site that has, like, the entire... Because it's like a 1999 game or something like that. It came out in 1999. There's a site you can get, like, the whole fucking thing, along with tons of mods, and it's, like, a tiny file. So if you want to be, um, you know, a good person, you could probably find it on, like, Amazon and then get the mods. But... Or just bug Steam. Come on, Steam. We want to give you our money. Give us games we want. Yeah. Enough totally. of this third-party, independent, Candy Crush hentai crap you keep pushing. In all fairness, Honey Pop was pretty fun. but. <laughs> <laughs> and we learned about Axel's dark side. Yeah, my, my, my point being that if you can find it legitimately, do, because it's a great game that deserves... Except I don't even think the company that made it still exists, so I don't know who owns the rights to it. I, I'm just saying that like, if you can't, do what you have to do. Whatever. I'm, I'm not, not here to judge, but I'm also not here to condone. <laughs> So my suggestion of the week, we've talked about him a lot. He's one of my trusted movie reviewers and one of my favorite internet content creators is uh, Bob Chippen, a.k.a. Movie Bob. Um, yeah, I did realize that we talk, I quote him more than I want to because he's not, <laughs> my, he's not, he's not my favorite movie reviewer. My favorite no. movie reviewer is probably Chris Stuckman, but Bob yeah. tends to 
uh, say things from a certain perspective that I find interesting, and he's inevitably like very quotable because he's a pretty intelligent guy. But I don't want to feel like I'm stealing from him, so I I try very hard to like circumvent that kind of shit. No, so. he is one of my three movie critics I follow. I follow Jeremy Johns, uh, Chris Duckman, and Movie Bob, and I use those three based on their scores to kind of get a feel for how I'm going to feel about a movie. Movie Bob, I don't typically agree with him, but I like what he has to say. And that's why I also love his own personal content. Uh, this Movie Bob presents and his, or his really good, that good series. He is a fantastic, highly intelligent, great movie reader, great content creator that gets way more shit on the internet than he possibly deserves. Well, here's, here's what I will say. Again, I really like Movie Bob's material because I think that he, um, he describes and explains things in very interesting ways, but he is also a very, I don't he's know how to phrase far it. Left. Just yeah, he, it. Yeah, he's but, very adamant about how far left he is, and he's, it, I feel like it doesn't get on minors or after, I consider myself a left-leaning moderate without getting too much into politics here, but um, I think that his, he's got a certain level of arrogance that I think can be fun sometimes, but yeah. it gets on a lot of people's nerves, so. Uh, but no, politics aside, I, all I will say about me, Bob, is he was right about Venom, and everyone that attacked him can get the fuck out. Sure. So, I, I feel like Venom's complicated, but all right. That's all I have really to say about that. Um, again, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. YouTube has changed the algorithm again, so likes are important again, so make sure you hit like. Um, please leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode. We are on Twitter and Patreon. Links will be in the description below. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time where Marvel Month continues. And as always, stay, stay honorable. honorable.